Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Comedy, art, and sometimes rock and roll. Let's do a public opinion poll. Raise your hand if you love creative control. Cause when Vish is unleashed, well, you. Oh. Sorry, I didn't see you there. I was just working on a tribute song to my favorite podcast, Creative Control, with Vish Khanna. My name is Matthias, and I play in a band called The Burning Hell, but more importantly, I support Creative Control on Patreon, and I think you should too. Quality long-form arts journalism is like a magical talking unicorn. It definitely exists, but it can be really hard to find. Fortunately for us, Vish makes it easy with hundreds of funny, thought-provoking, well-researched and engaging interviews with artists from all over the world. Your flexible monthly donation on Patreon will get you plenty of special exclusive treats and help Vish keep his podcast well-fed and cared for properly, the way a magical unicorn deserves. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Brett McKenzie is a celebrated musician, comedian, actor, writer, composer, and producer based in his hometown of Wellington, New Zealand. With his partner, Jermaine Clement, McKenzie is part of the hilarious, groundbreaking, and Grammy-winning comedy folk duo Flight of the Concords, who once had a beloved HBO series 
have released many best-selling records and sporadically still get together to perform to sold-out audiences around the world. On his own, Mackenzie has worked in television and film, writing songs for movies, including 2014's Muppets Most Wanted, which earned him an Academy Award for Best Original Song for his tune, Man or Muppet. On August 26, 2022, Sub Pop Records released Mackenzie's album Songs Without Jokes, a very personal and spirited collection of sly pop and eagle-eyed rock that features a remarkable ensemble of musicians, bringing Mackenzie's outspoken and autobiographical lyrics to life in really compelling ways. Brett and I connected recently for a talk about what it was like growing up a music fan in New Zealand, not seeing David Bowie live, but getting a nice surprise from seeing Phil Collins live, musical influences and sharply funny songwriters he loves, the musical vibe and aesthetic on Songs Without Jokes, dark songs with jolly arrangements, dire straits and the war on drugs, why comedians and musicians want to be serious and funny, respectively, global warming and the pandemic, lightening up a bit, Flight of the Concords updates, touring the world, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, where you can hear this show a little bit earlier than everybody else. Go to patreon.com slash Control for more information about that. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 711 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Brett McKenzie, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Brad. How are you? Good morning, afternoon, evening. Yeah, yeah. It's afternoon here in Edmonton, Alberta. Where in the world are you? Um, I'm at home in Wellington, so it's uh, tomorrow morning, I think. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now you spend a lot of time in Los Angeles, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That's probably, I guess, my my second home. Yeah, yeah. So you're used to these this temporal confusion as you're checking back in in Wellington with all your family, right? Of them being, what, a day oh, yeah. ahead? There's a lot yeah. of that. My kids are quite used to that. And there's also that thing when you fly, you you lose a day or you gain a day. So you arrive the day. You, you miss a day traveling home. It disappears. So weird. That's, I mean, that seems weird. We, we are, some of us are used to losing hours, but a whole day. Do you ever get... Any- it's bad if it's your birthday. <laughs> it's bad if you fly home the day before your birthday and, and arrive the day after. <laughs> <laughs> you miss it. Just miss the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so you're, you are from Wellington, as, as far as I know, kind of born and raised there. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in um, Wellington. Um, and Wellington's kind of, a, if people know New Zealand, there's two islands. Wellington's kind of in the middle. It's at the bottom of the North Island, and it's capital city, government. It's quite artsy. People say it's a little bit like Seattle, sort of San Francisco. It's kind of hilly with a harbor in the middle, and quite confined. You know, quite um, geographically quite small. And so it's a town where you can. It's a small city, but it's, you know, a big town. But you can really walk around everywhere. So that's kind of one of the cool things about it. You can, you go out, you bump into people you know. Yeah, 
Yeah. That sounds lovely. I'm pr- I, I used to, for a long time, most of my life, until recently, lived in Ontario in a, a college town. Very similar. Walkable, artsy. Uh, I, I relish that. Now, based on the fact that it's a capital city, does this mean that if a band or an artist is going to do a tour of New Zealand, is it pretty much guaranteed they'll play Wellington? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. They, I mean, yeah. a New Zealand band or an international band? No, I meant no, for sure. I meant an international band. Oh, yeah, international bands. Actually, Auckland is the biggest city. There's one biggest city. Hmm. So often touring bands will do Australia, and then on the last day they'll tag on a New Zealand show or two. And if they're just, if they're, depending on how tired they are, if they play or how, how big they are, <laughs> Auckland has a sort of bigger venue. I see. Yeah, but often often we see bands touring and they're very tired because it's the last show of their tour because <laughs> they've done <laughs> Asia or something and then, Japan, and then Australia. They show up on a Monday night and play and look exhausted and play a really uh, fatigued gig. <laughs> Good for you. Wow, you got all the perks there. That's all we get. That's all we get. <laughs> so the reason I ask is, uh, oh, sorry, just again, forgive my lack of geographical knowledge of this area. How far is Auckland from Wellington? And would would it be feasible if someone were to do what you're saying, you're in Wellington and you hear tell that someone's playing Auckland, is it easy for you to get there? Is it a long trek? It, it's like it's a six or seven hour drive. So you wouldn't make I a. I don't know if that's you wouldn't. And, and that's that, that's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't. You don't just go up there for a, for a show unless <laughs> there's a band you really like. Have you ever done that? <laughs> have you ever thought? Uh, have you and your friends ever just done that? You had to go because they were only coming to Auckland. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I think. Most bands that I've wanted to see have, have added have had Wellington on the, on okay. the list. Okay, so, all right, fair yeah. enough. So my question is, because I talk to people, even in Canada, we have remote outposts, uh, and the touring mm-hmm. circuit will hit Toronto, maybe Montreal, and then the whole rest mm-hmm. of the country is a bit of a wash. People will go to Vancouver, maybe they'll go out east. Um, and what I've learned from my travels and going to these remote outposts is that the people uh, who are attending the events really relish them because they think it's rare they know it's rare uh to have them have people come by oh yeah so yeah, do you yeah. have that yeah there you is have that mentality that there's definitely that feeling there's a there's that excitement of it feels like it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to see these bands and often it is <laughs> like they come once i mean maybe twice if if, if if an act comes to new zealand three times they are really passionate about uh flying on planes Yes, of course. So in that spirit, uh, have there been formative concerts for you uh, living in Wellington, things that you'll always, you know, you couldn't believe it was happening kind of thing and you'll always remember it. Anything like that come to mind? Yeah. um, David Bowie came to Wellington and um, huge regret for me because uh, I'm I'm an enormous fan. And for some reason, it was a long time ago, I... I was it was too expensive and I couldn't go and um hmm. but it was, he was playing like this giant sports arena like giant the biggest venue in town you know yeah. it's, it's mostly for rugby and sports so I was at my flat and you could hear the concert because Wellington's quite small you didn't really need to go to the concert to hear it the whole city could hear Bowie <laughs> singing his songs all night <laughs> so I heard the concert but I was just standing outside my house listening oh man that's a drag. I'm so sorry. Gutting. And then so gutting because then, I mean, I still I still got a total buzz from hearing it, but mostly it was just a, a brutal um, 
regrets because <laughs> then he so, passed away and I didn't get to see him. I was like, oh man, I should have yeah. just got myself together, bought the ticket. I have a few of those myself, I will admit to you. Um, were there any things you saw that uh, did that you were... Sorry, let's, let's, let's get us out of this sad, sad story of regret. Was there anything, sure, yeah, sure, was there anything sure. triumphant that you got to see that impacted you as a, um, as a musician and as a fan? Uh, far out early on, I, I was mostly, to be honest, it's mostly New Zealand bands. I see. I yeah. saw so, um, when I was younger. And then I took, when I started traveling, I saw lots more acts. It's interesting. Um, what's an act I saw in New Zealand? You know, an act I saw re- not that long ago was... Um, Phil Collins. Oh yeah, yeah. He was touring. He's back. And he's been touring again after semi retirement. And he, yeah, and he was. Um, I, I mean, I like Phil Collins, but I wasn't. I didn't think. Oh, I'm half. You know, I'm not like a huge fan. But then I, I, I went to the concert and I was like, it was like I was, I was converted. It was. Um, he sm- he smoked him. And he's <laughs> he, like, he, the songs are awesome. The band was amazing yeah. the whole crowd was just it was really amazing that was cool seeing a um i mean he's not that well he can't stand yeah, yeah. he sits down for the concert and everything but um his voice is incredible and um yeah suddenly i saw like the power of his songs and his music and i was like oh i get it you know and i looked back at his earlier stuff where he was so cheeky and playful uh anyway that was a that was that was probably a few years ago but um that was that was a that was a killer gig, yeah. You and I are about the same age. I I, I realized recently. I'm 40, 46, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was born in seventy seven. You were born in seventy six, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we're we're um both, I think, probably eighties babies, but had formative experiences in the nineties. Is that about right for you? Would you say in terms of? That's right. I think the eighties music was kind of the music we heard when we were at the supermarket as kids. It was just. Like Phil Collins was just, I just heard it without even trying. Everywhere. So I know the songs. I knew the songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I was getting at, because the 80s, I remember, I would watch, I was very immersed in music from a very young age, watching it, consuming it. And I would watch the Grammys sometimes with my parents, and Phil Collins would win constantly. And if I think about it, like that No Jacket Required album, huge, like just a huge 80s. Like I can't think of, other than, you know, Michael Jackson and, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, right I feel like there. he and dominated. Closer, yeah. His hits when he does a concert, it's one. Of, he's one of those acts that just does hits all night long, and he can. <laughs> and you don't realize you don't realize you know all the songs. Yeah, so it's crazy. remarkable. But that aesthetic, it's an interesting segue because I want to talk about this brilliant new record of yours, uh, "Songs Without Jokes." Congratulations, first of all, Brad. It's really wonderful. Thanks, Face. That's awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I love it. So, but my wife and I, it's been playing. Uh, I got it's. I, you know, I'm a bit of a, a music industry weasel, so oh, they yeah, send me. <laughs> they send me the records in advance, so it's been playing in the house constantly for weeks. And uh, my wife has made she'll while we're making breakfast or dinner or whatever. It's all just on, and she's made a few comments like, "Oh, this kind of, this song reminds me of like a John Hughes film." Oh, this song is very like kind of dire straight, like eighties dire straits. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I know the, the one. I know the one she's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> the we have the same den- feeling in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> the common denominator like, there is the nineteen eighties, 
I don't think that's the truth for everything, uh, and I will get into that with you. But aesthetically, sonically, and again, we're generalizing about an entire decade. Do you feel like that vibe, that '80s vibe, is is present on this record? Hugely, yeah. It has a. It's um. There's something about the production and the synth. It's adding the synth to a band. I feel like throws it into a kind of like 79 80 81 type zone like we yeah. we would just and i think something about the 80s production mickey petrelli's the producer um something about it we sort of love and we're like oh this is kind of juicy because it's a little it's a little cheesy but it's kind of cool <laughs> 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 so something in there is like quite alluring like is that too much Nah, i think that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well because the the information i was sent about some of the touchstones for you the names uh i came across were randy newman steely dan harry nilson and dire straits now some of those folks had big 80s but a few of them had particularly uh big 70s so yeah is there something so I, I think what I've uh, what I've cited is accurate in terms of what I've what what's in the biographical info and what you have cited um, as potential influences on you and your songwriting here. First of all, is that is that about accurate? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think I, those artists from the seventies. I think I probably listen to more seventies music, um, and I'm a fan of kind of like Harry Nilsson, Randy Newman. The the songwriting. I think what I like about that songwriting is it's quite funny and playful and a little bit uh throwaway you know i think in the 80s the songwriting got a lot more sincere uh, and earnest and romantic and dramatic i think I, i'm slightly more and i do love all that as well but i think i'm somewhere in between but definitely part of that 70s songwriting tone I, I really like um, and my theory is that some of those albums they were in the studio that was back in the day when they'd book a studio for a month to record yeah. the record yeah. and they'd be playing songs for days and then I reckon on about day 12 they would just be so bored that they would start singing crazy stuff <laughs> like making up silly songs and they'd have so much fun making up that silly one that that ended up being on the record and there'd always be like one or two quite crazy songs on those albums yeah yeah that i think were just a fun that the band had a really fun time recording and they that's and i so something about that i um i i, I yeah really interests me but um yeah so yeah right 70s and 80s to be honest we started off being 70s and then we thought let's make it a little more contemporary yeah and we sort of added the synth and we got to the 80s and then the sound like all the the instrument sounds that that feels they feel good to me. I think Dean Parks on guitar. We started getting into the chorus on electric. Yes. Once you throw a chorus on electric guitar, you kind of throw yourself into the eighties pretty pretty strongly. Well, I, I was thinking about the the influences that you've cited and that, like I said, that are alluded to uh, in the information that comes with the record uh, for those of us who read those things. And uh, it is interesting. I can pick up on the um, songwriting uh, aesthetic that you're describing that kind of emanates from those. Something was going on in the seventies. I mean, it, it, we we for those of us who've studied any kind of film, uh, you know, there's some gritty that sort of verite aspect or misdirection. A lot of misdirection mm. where you're like something's packaged as one thing, but then if you actually dig into what's being said, it's the opposite. And I feel like some of the you are doing this on this record, I think, quite a bit. Like when I uh, we were I push play on uh, this world. 
this morning as we were all getting ready for breakfast. And my wife again, oh, yeah, she's yeah. like, this is so such a dark song, but such it's a jaunty, such a sweet and jaunty <laughs> arrangement. So I feel it's very catchy. It's very sing alongable. <laughs> it is, even though it's about the end of the planet. So it, it seems to me that you've picked up on that notion of sort of misdirection, and I feel like this has been a through line in a lot of your work. Is that something? I don't know what's going on with yeah. you and that. Yeah, but that does that is yeah. that fair? That Again, seems to you're come. Right. Yeah. I, I I love that. I love that quality where, and I think the Smiths do that really beautifully. Yeah. You know. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, it's serious. Jangly, and he's like jangly, jangly guitars, and you're like, it's so happy and dancing. Yes, exactly. La, la. <laughs> but it's so dark. Or like, what's the other one? There's a, the town they forgot to bomb. Oh, Armageddon, oh, Armageddon, come. Every day's like Sunday. Yes, you know of that? course, yeah. Again, so jaunty and happy and and perfect dance floor tune, but it's so dark. Yeah, and I've always loved that in comedy or in any situation actually just that that contrast within that layering within something so i mean i'd love the idea that people are singing along and actually we did a sound check one time at a bar playing this world is broken and and all the bar stuff was setting up the bar for the gig that night and they were like all the stuff are dancing along and it's but they're dancing along to the song about the the planet falling apart <laughs> really funny for me to watch i was like wow look at that that's good <laughs> so i have a theory that i i've presented to a few people on the show because i interview comedians uh more rarely in some ways than i do musicians um but over the 15 years or however long no it's been longer than that i'm getting old 18 years i've been doing this kind of stuff interviewing people 1800 years 1800 years, 1800 years yeah of I'm, old. I'm old that's right this that's is your <laughs> first podcast ever <laughs> so i've been started doing... before there was even technology <laughs> no one heard it it's <laughs> just primitive primitive uh technology i was working with i have a theory that in general uh musicians often want to be thought of as funny and comedians often want to be taken seriously I know. Again, I'm generalizing. I, I think you're right. You you, know, you I, said you were I, in between the earnest and the irreverent, even in your own songcraft. So you're a perfect uh, test case for my theory because uh, you can speak to both impulses. What do you make of my theory, first of all, Brett? I completely agree with your theory. The <laughs> the because um, I've I've kind of been in both worlds. I grew up in bands, playing in bands in New Zealand, and then. I spent years touring comedy clubs, hanging out with stand-up comedians. Yeah, and Jermaine and I, with Flight of the Concords, we we were never quite, we weren't we weren't really stand-up comedians. One one of the things are the two of us, so it's always we didn't quite fall into the the neurotic. What happens to stand-ups is quite intense because they're off by themselves, mm. traveling all the time. But I found that um, I agree. I found that musicians are generally much well i I, th- I think musicians are actually much funnier people often. I, I think and then I think comedians so too. <laughs> are actually comedians are often very serious and um not that fun to hang out with often like, i mean they're okay to hang out with they're funny when they want to be but absolute musicians yeah. if i've toured in bands touring in bands laughing all the time yes. laughing all the time comedians touring the comedians Oh, that's just so tough. So, and, but it's funny at the show. But this after you're like, oh, what, what's this? Oh, mate, it's a dark night. Oh, I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. I think, and I think I go between the two. I feel like, in, in my experience, I learned it the hard way because uh, when I did a college radio show, I would often get to talk to comedians, 
And if I try to even engage, like this is a testament to me uh, maybe not being funny uh, ever in my life, but I don't think I have evidence to suggest that's not exactly true. Uh, every time I interact with someone, eh, I could get a bit of laugh sometimes. But when I would try to engage... Mind you, did you ever... Are you going to say when you engaged with the comedians, they didn't really buy into it, and they were like, nah, mate, I'm not going for it. There's something about the comedian dynamic I've had where if you try... I, I've learned the hard way not to try because I think what part of it, I think that neuroses you talk about is they are faced with people questioning their jobs more than almost anyone. Like a musician can play and unequivocally someone can say, oh yeah, that person knows how to play an instrument. I can't really argue with that. Comedians are constantly told they're not funny or, uh, you know who's funny? My cousin. Like it's like no one values the job and so they get upset that anyone thinks they can do it. Does that resonate? Yeah, 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 exactly. So many situations like, oh, comedians say something funny. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, no, I did these songs that are sort of played. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, yeah, no, you're right. Mind you, would you ever, I sounded like when you when you were interviewing comedians, they they wouldn't play, do gags with you. But then would you ever interview a musician and say, hey, I've got a, I've got a half a song idea. You want to have no, a No, 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 no. But see, the thing is, I mean, I wasn't trying to be like, do your material. I just mean it was often oh, right. a musician wants to show another side of themselves Outside of the singing and the, oh, and, the and the and, you know they they want to be yeah, fun and yeah, they yeah, it, it's yeah. almost like an interview is like a yeah. chance to try out banter, uh, you know in between song yeah. banter. I think yeah. a comedian I don't know how else to put it, but yeah they're like no I save all of this for the stage. This is my job. Here's a, a, if you want another yeah. side of me, it's often oh. going to be a serious one, like a, a a more sincere one. Yeah. So that's all. No, I had years of that. I had years of that, and, and often Jermaine and I would go to photo shoots for um you know, newspapers or any sort of, you know, magazine or something. And they'd always say, okay, let's do the photo. Particularly like regional, local newspapers would be like, okay, can, um, so would, could one of you like do a funny face or something? Because we want to show that you're comedians. <laughs> like, we're like, no, no, we just like to just stand, be ourselves. They're like, yeah, what about if one of you is like punching the other one in the head? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. one of you is like... <laughs> Which is hilarious too, because uh, the, like yourself on this record, and people like Randy Newman and Steely Dan, often the most hilarious things that I hear from folks like like you and them, it comes across as serious. But like my wife dialed in to what you were saying today in particular. Like again, it's been playing throughout the house, and she's like, "This is hilarious that this song is so bleak, and there's like a wah wah like horn section and backup singers and like." It's like festive, so I'm getting like it's it's. I like it, and I think uh, oh, I'm get, I, there's no solution to this. I think my theory is sound, and I pre. I, I think you're on it. You're on. You're on. I something. appreciate you backing yeah. me up on it. So I've jumped a little bit ahead for folks who are listening. We should actually talk about where this record kind of came from. It is called, and I think this is a nice segue from what we were just discussing. It's called Songs Without Jokes. And I wonder if you can talk. That's funny. Like that to me is inadvertently yeah. funny. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what spurred you on uh, with this batch of songs and this sort of concept of songs without jokes? Yeah. Well, um, for those people who who don't know the stuff I've done before, I I uh, play in a band called Flight of the Concords, which is a comedy act. And then from that, um, we did a big TV show. And then I got work doing film songs. So I wrote songs for the Muppets and won an um, Oscar. Uh, 
won an Oscar, had a, a, done lots of films for TV, for The Simpsons, and won, and won a Grammy. You won characters. a Grammy and an Oscar. I just want won everyone. A Grammy. Yeah. By yeah. the way, you live in Wellington, New Zealand, and here in North America, those are considered like a big deal. Do you even care? Yeah, no, they're, it's a big deal here <laughs> okay. as well. Yeah, people, are, it's a, people are impressed. Okay. People are impressed. Sorry um, to interrupt you. I just wanted to interject. First of all, Brett, it's hilarious. You're, everyone knows who you are. Everyone. I'm, okay. I, okay, I appreciate cool. that okay. you're like, uh, for those who don't, I think people by now, I hope, know who you are. Anyway, I don't mean to interrupt. Okay, well, okay. So, I write, so writing, fil- writing songs for films, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, I'm doing this all the time, and I get these really crazy phone calls or emails and they say we need a song there's a unicorn she's upset and she wants to sing about how upset she is uh, and then what they say there's a there's or a character you know they're like there's a toy there's this toy and it needs to have a song for the opening sequence and i'm like okay okay and then then i write the song and they say yeah it's good but the unicorn i don't think the unicorn would say that <laughs> unicorns don't really so wouldn't say that line <laughs> i'm like okay i'll rewrite the i'll rewrite the verse for you. you know this is going on and on then we record them in the studio it's really fun i'm not complaining oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a brilliantly crazy weird job i have that this is my job. I have to do these songs for really weird projects. Yeah. But then I was in the studio recording them, and I realized, uh, well, I was working with Mickey Petrali, who's the producer who did all of Concords, done all, all worked on everything with me. Uh, he's a Los Angeles music producer, and um, uh, like actually a very, very funny man as well, like you're saying, uh, from the music industry. And we talked about how wouldn't it be nice to do some music that was not for a film or for a TV show or doesn't have to move a plot point forward or adhere to a character and so we thought let's do it and we we just started i started collecting songs um that weren't for these that i wrote when i wasn't doing these projects often in the night when i get get the kids to bed and i'll be playing my guitar and singing away and um songs just sort of you know just fall out when you kind of just of course, yeah. Like that for me, and I, whenever there's one that's quite good, or if it feels like it's a good idea or something, I'd, I'd try and grab my phone and record on voice memo, and um, and my wife Hannah's really good at she because I've got such a bad memory. Often the next morning she'd be like, "Oh, that one was good. What was that one?" And I'm like, "Oh, I can't remember it at all." <laughs> so she, sometimes she leans in and goes, "Have you recorded this one?" Or she'll grab a phone and video it to make sure this was a good one. <laughs> that's nice, and um. Yes, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's quite good actually. So then I collect all these little songs on my phone, and I'd ones that were good. You know, you go back to and and that was the really the kernel of lots of these little little song fragments. And then I would um, record demos in New Zealand and LA with with Mickey in between doing projects. If we had a day off or a day between, and um, once we had all the demos, we we wanted to record it with all these session players that we'd. Um, met doing the film jobs that's one of the magic parts of working in film is they hire these a session players in la mm-hmm. who i've never i knew i'd never seen anything like these players until i started working on the muppets and that was really cool chris caswell who's the um the arranger for the muppets he for the muppet music i did he played on the original muppets films so he's probably late 60s oh wow wow. that's Um, awesome he looks quite a lot like one of the guys from electric mayhem um (laughs) and 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 his but he he was like we got to get he got his buddies to come and play on the album uh, on the on the on the film songs and they were players like dean dean parks who who's this legend 
guitar player. He's played Steely Dan and Michael Jackson. He wrote a song for Michael Jackson, and uh, he's played on hundreds of amazing records. And Lee Sklar was the as a bass player who plays on Phil, with Phil Collins and mm-hmm. James Taylor, and again hundreds of legend Dolly Parton nine to five. He played that bass track. Oh wow! So many, so many these guys, and they're these older players. Uh, so he, Chris Caswell was friends with them he knew that crew so he got them in and Mickey Petralia knew a sort of younger LA crew like Joey Waronka and Drew Erickson yeah um, and Joe, Joey used to play with Beck we, quite a bit as I recall and he played in REM yeah Joey played with Beck and then REM and yeah. now he tours with Roger Waters and mm-hmm. um, anyway so you get the you can get a sense of how high high pedigree is. of musicianship high, high end and yeah. for the film jobs they they high end because they move really quickly they you get they have to get everything right quickly next song and that's it's just it's how they sort of roll um, right but you get a really good sound anyway so mickey and i were like oh well let's do it. let's try and do it with these guys because we could record an album in a day for these guys because <laughs> they're so good and um anyway so we took four days uh four or five days i think at the end and um yeah, smashed it out with these amazing players, and yeah, that's kind of the the story of how the record got done. That all the all the multi tracking was really fast, and it was funny because some of them are like Lee, the bass player. You know, when you say eighties to them, if you say play something that's kind of eighties, that's like that's their goat. That's they know they know all these decades. They've played seventies. Yeah. They played on the seventies records. They played on the eighties records. They played on the nineties records. They played on the two thousands records, and they're still playing on records now. I mean, it's oh, and the tens. I don't know how you call those ones. The, the arts, teens. the and, arts. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the arts. Yeah, uh, they've played all across, and they don't actually. I think for people like you and me, maybe we have a little sense. The eighties to us has a lot of like, it's sort of got a nostalgia, a bit of cheesy, mm-hmm. and it's a. I don't know. For me, it's got a certain quality. Mm-hmm. For them, they don't they don't see that um, they don't feel that um, so it's quite fun working with them. Like there's a song called um, "Up in Smoke," which is a kind of moody um, song about the again it's a climate theme song and uh, there's like fires happening burning and someone's trying to figure out whether they're going to leave their house or is it going to what's going to happen with these fires and and Lee just without even ask without even thinking he puts this chorus pedal on his bass. <laughs> It sounds really cool, but it's like no, it's a very know. ambient. The, the the level of it's, like it's almost it's so uh, vibey, right? Are you familiar with uh, the producer Daniel Lanois? Yeah, yeah. So Lanois, for those who don't know, and I'm sure they probably do, uh, made a bunch of records with you too. But for me, because I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, he stepped into Dylan's life at a point. Um, he and an engineer, Mark Howard, in particular. Uh, stepped in to help them make this record, uh, Time Out of Mind, super vibey. Uh, but Lanois was kind of known for that, uh, getting that ambiance. And I pick up on that a lot on this record. Like there's the there's a song called Here For You, also I think quite moody. And that to mm. me seems like a Leonard Cohen 80s Dylan kind of production or Springsteen, like very romantic, yeah. chivalrous kind of song um so i don't know i was going to ask if you had like we've talked about some of the the 70s folks and some of the 80s folks uh lanois is contemporary to me are there uh contemporary references because i hear wilco i hear war on drugs sometimes like yeah war on drugs is definitely an influence they are Uh, you're a fan i think yeah i love war on drugs and i think 
the war on drugs really feels like just a throwback to Dire Straits yes. and springsteen and actually War on Drugs sounds like, he sounds, he phrases like Dylan. Phrases, yes, exactly. You know, it's a very, it's phrasing. an amalgam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort yeah. of throws back. But um, what I love about that sound, and that comes, there is a little bit of that on the record, which is that what I call the Foxton Straits vibe, which is based on, there's a one road in the North Island here that's just really straight for about 11 minutes. Yeah. Because in New Zealand, it's very windy. I guess in Canada, you'd have a lot of straight, long roads. Yeah. But that music, the music that goes, if you're driving and you're going straight ahead for a long time, it's just that. <laughs> and it keep, and war on drugs do that the whole time. The drum beat never stops. The bass, kind of a Fleetwood Mackie, and it keeps going. Yeah. And there's a few tracks on that that are just, to me, feel like driving music. Absolutely. No, I agree. It's all, there's some vibe stuff for sure. Uh, one yeah. person we haven't cited, and I don't know how you're going to take this because he's divisive. If you want to go, this great song of yours uh, leaps out of the gate. And uh, to me, I get a Billy Joel vibe. Yeah, anyone? Ooh, t- yeah, Billy Joel. I'll take it. I love it. Okay. Just, you didn't I, know where I was Billy going Joel's with that. Another, <laughs> Billy Joel's another, I know he's, he's, he can, he can, he can, he can split. Uh, people but yeah. I, I grew up with Billy Joel my dad was a massive Billy Joel fan yeah he sang a lot of Billy Joel around um, driving around yeah and you can't deny Billy Joel is a master songwriter you can't deny yeah. his hooks and his form and yeah there is a, that's that was not intentional though I think I was going a little more Elton Johnny is what I was trying well, to achieve but yeah that song's a funny one it's um that was a song that I was actually writing for a, a film and this melody kind of came out, and I was on the piano. I was like, oh, this is fun. And I don't even know. It's quite a weird song. It doesn't really – I don't quite know what that song is, but it's really fun. Well, I was going to say, like <laughs> – it, it sits in a really weird place, yeah. but it's really fun to play. And I was like, I like this. I, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'll say two things about it. One, uh, I appreciate the Elton John uh, counterpoint, you know, if you will. The, those two are bedfellows, famously have done – uh, famously used to tour together, Billy Joel and, El- and Elton John. And I will put forth the argument that... Unre- unreliable, unreliable artists, maybe you could call yeah, them. I think they were, yeah, or they are, yes. <laughs> but what I was going to say there, though, is maybe in my mind the bridge is pati- of that song is particularly Billy Joel, whereas you're, the, the rest, the verses and the choruses are maybe more Elton. What do you make of that? I got a lot of theories today. What do you think of that? I like it. I like that. You know, the other big influence, it was a one song, you know, Starbuck, Moonlight Feels Right? Yes, yes. Do you know that song? Yeah. There's something about that song that I think the, and Leon Russell does it a little bit, but in a much cooler way on Will of the Wisp, his album, mm-hmm. the synths kick in. And what I like is in Starbuck, the synths kick in and it sounds like kind of, it suddenly goes all zhuzhy. And and so we were trying to like get those synths up and then in the mix so that you kind of it sort of sounds seventies rock but then you're like ooh what's this and it goes all I don't know something sort of cocktaily about it or yeah don't know something well if yeah. you want to go there's a few songs here where I'm like I can as a parent myself as a spouse I assume that you are not simply adopting narrative voices throughout this record that you're speaking autobiographically or or speaking about things that like up in smoke i can't help it i picture you being in la when there's fires raging in california wondering about new zealand you know but maybe it's the opposite i don't know 
Where, let me finish this thought before you interject, because you're probably going to be like, yeah, you're way off, pal. But my point is this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, beach, man, you got no idea, man. <laughs> my, point, my point is, sometimes I think I'm picking up. I just a, put an, I did a Google search, write a song. <laughs> I used the algorithm. I, the algorithm, the algorithm wrote, wrote that one? Okay, I, I, maybe I should interview that. Can we get the algorithm on this call? Maybe we can talk to them, too. No, my point is, like, sometimes I think it's pretty autobiographical. Um, and then other times, like, if you want to go, that's like a kiss-off breakup kind of song, and I don't know that that is relevant to your current life, but uh, is some of this narrative stuff, or is some of it like fantastical narrative stuff, and some of it very much drawn from your own life and experience? Yeah, that's exactly right, and I think that a lot of it's a lot. I mean, for me, it's a lot more personal than anything I've done in the past. Yeah, and autobiographical, but, but there's there's moments where it's character as well. You know, or I take an idea that's from my life, and then I'm like, "Oh well, there's a bit of that." Like, like you say, um, if you want to go as a breakup song, I haven't broken up. Um, quite happily married to, to my wife Hannah, and yeah, yeah. But obviously, we've been together a long time, and um, there are times where she's quite annoyed with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I know the feeling of, "Oh, this is this could be falling apart." <laughs> I see. Okay, so but, you're, it's a so, kernel of. You're picking up I on take, little kernels. I take, I take kernels of, of feelings, and then I look for how to expand them into the song, maybe. And I, I think I've watched. I've been watching David Lynch does this. I've been reading David Lynch's book, Catching the Fish. Catching oh, the I haven't fish. read that. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't read it. He has a book about creativity and mindfulness. Basically, he talks about how you catch ideas. And that you sort of he he likens it to fishing, where you you just put you've got to put the hook down, and then it it gets something, and then you you come up and you've got the idea, and then you kind of want to catch other things around it. But yes. once you got that first idea, the more ideas start to come that are connected, and you kind of see how, yeah, that's I, sort of a little bit similar for me like that when songwriting. I might start and I get a part of a song. I'm like, oh, that bit. And whether it leads from an idea, like This World is Broken, um, started with an idea of that. You know, that was like lyrics about climate change. But um, it might come from a kernel of a melody that a phrase comes out as I'm singing it. Well, there's lots you know, of yeah. this tone. Okay, I, let me let me backtrack myself here because it's interesting to me that these songs and this project uh, came to you as a respite from the narrative songs, like the narrative-based songs you were kind of commissioned to write for other people's stories, if you will. Is that a good way? Yeah, yeah, but, that's exactly right. Right, yeah. but as I go through these songs, I'm picking up on little narrative things. For instance, and if you want to go, I think it's mentioned once. There's a character named Jeffrey, and then I don't think you hear yeah. from him ever again. There's a song. So I, my favorite. I'm like, who's? I love that part of this. I'm like, who's Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Dave's who's place. Jeffrey? Exactly. Who's Dave? Like I, I, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I do love Jeffrey shows. I was like, what's up with Jeffrey? Whatever. He sounds like trouble. Uh, yeah, I couldn't help, but I mean, I've just done so, that to me is, um, I've done so much songwriting where you layer in story and yes. character that it's hard for me to not do that, to be honest. Like, but um, And I do find it very satisfying, little threads. I think Steely Dan do that really well. They often throw in a little, who is this, that gaucho in a spangled leather poncho you know things like that where you're like what are they talking who about? are they talking about and what are they talking <laughs> and, about yeah yeah no, and i yeah. so thematically we've alluded to the climate change stuff the socio-cultural divide stuff uh and i can cite some examples here like up in smoke we talked about carry on 
mm-hmm. uh, crazy times. Uh, this world is broken, obviously. So sums on your end. I think crazy times to me seems I thought born of the pandemic. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, totally. I wrote that during lockdown. Was most of this period, written yeah. during this lockdown period? Most of it's written before. I see. Um, it's twenty nineteen, really. Yes, a lot of the songs. Okay. So, but yeah, there was a few in there that if uh, crazy times, which is sort of COVID lockdown at home, feeling what's you know what's happening type feeling for that song, and if you want to go, was also written during the lockdown. Yeah. So I guess what I'm coming from is if you can objectively look at these songs now, the people are going to hear this record now that it's finally uh, out, and people are going to process it however they process it. And I've, like I said, I've spent weeks with it now, and I've been thinking a lot about it, reading the lyrics uh, and all these sorts of things. So I'm picking up on threads, and I I sense that there's... I mean, you sing about... uh, What song is it where you talk about how you don't want to actually... You want to to, uh, start a conversation that doesn't end in doom... Uh, That's Carry On, I believe, right? So you're... That's Carry On. I mean, that was... Honestly, I don't don't know if it's like for you you and your friends, but I feel like there's been so many times where you're talking to your friends and you, you're trying to have fun and hang out, but then someone opens up the, oh, have you guys heard about some yeah. terrible news about the planet or what's going on in the country? Yeah, that's usually me. I'm usually that guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, and so then like it just gets so heavy yeah. and then everyone's trying to like, I don't know, it's just, it just felt like everyone is sort of trying to get through with that, without these things just completely barreling them over um that's the feeling it wasn't i was having these feelings and then i'd talk to friends or they come around we're chatting and like oh you're also you're despairing but you're trying to carry on with a well so bold face. again it's super fascinating that most of the songs were written prior to 2019 because obviously if i'm right your mindset was already kind of pondering the bleakness and i know i, I hate to do this yeah no it's quite weird yeah. i was i was I was already uh, like feeling, oh, we got a huge problem here. Yeah. So objectively, when you look at this batch of songs, um, I think we've hit on it. But I just just to close this out, this 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 line of thought. What is your perception of your own mindset at this time? Because it's all over the place. It's fun. It's like you. I think it's it's fun and funny, but it's heavy. Some of this stuff is heavy as hell. It's just packaged in interesting. Uh, packages if you will the soundtracks are interesting and there's like that's LA to me seems like a satire of Los Angeles and America Goodbye could be that as well like there's little bits of comedy in here sardonic comedy but again sorry I I haven't I keep asking it and not letting you answer your mindset at the time Mm -hmm. uh, can you objectively think about what was going on when you came up with this batch of songs I think I've got three kids Um, yes I was traveling uh, they're quite young. They're they're uh, thirteen, eleven, and seven now. But I guess so they're probably more like eleven, nine, and four or something. When I was working on this a lot more, um, yeah. I, and I was living between Los Angeles and New Zealand. I would travel to Los Angeles and work like a madman for a couple of weeks, ten days, yeah. and then fly back and then re-engage with with my family. And um, I'm very involved with my kids, raising my kids. It's a big big part, really important to me. And and I think having kids, I it's almost impossible not to be concerned about society and the future because you're raising these people 
and yeah. you've got your your home where you're raising them and you can create an environment there for them and you can kind of shelter them and try and nurture them and uh, prepare them. <laughs> Basically, you're preparing them for the world. And it's yes. hard not to look at the world and go, Ooh, okay, how do I get them ready for that? <laughs> like, uh, and I think, so I get them to bed, um, they'd go to sleep, and, and I would then often read, I fell into the trap of reading the news at, in the evenings. Right before and bed? That's bad. Did you do it right before it's bed? bad. It was bad. It's bad. I don't yeah. do that anymore. But um, yeah. I would, I'd get the kids to sleep, I'd read the news, I'd play guitar, and I'd be absorbing, um, yeah, what was going on in the world in the media and then connecting with my friends and my community and seeing what they were feeling. And I saw um, these, I saw that, Oh, other people are feeling the same way I am mm-hmm. and no one's quite sure what to do about these things. Um, and it couldn't help. I couldn't help but have those ideas when I was writing songs that didn't need to be funny or didn't need to be for a story. I couldn't help, but these were the things that were on my mind. So I was like, Oh, I'm just going to write about these things that are, I'm thinking about and feeling about. So that was, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I guess I was in a quite a dark place, a concerned place, uh, but... But but normal, I think. Normal, but, I don't think But I think unusual. everyone, it's hard, if you're not yeah. feeling that at the moment, you're in a sort of denial type place where you've worked <laughs> out how to live with it and, and cope with it without, like, there's no, you can't, you can't avoid this, thing you can't you cannot say everything is fine at the moment that that denial personally i will say and not to be that gloomy guy that we were describing earlier who brings everyone down but that denial that you're describing i feel has been heightened by this pandemic and it's telling to me that you've you've already said most of this was written prior to covid19 it was pre-pandemic couple things couple things weren't the obvious question is, <laughs> to me anyway, how has your perception of things changed now that we're we've we are going? I was going to say we've gone through. We're going through this thing right now uh, that I think has heightened a lot of the problems. I think it's made some things better, at least more yeah. obvious, like things that we should be doing. And remember when uh, 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 everything got locked down and people in Los Angeles were like, "Hey, I can see the sky." Yeah, I, I can yeah. see the That's cityscape so for the good. first time in 50 years. And I was like, yeah, yeah. so, okay, well, was, what's next in, then? In, um, yeah, in Wellington, there was a cool side effect of, even though it's small and everything, but they closed the airport, then no one was driving. Everyone started hearing all the birds yes. more. More birds came out. It's like, oh, this is really pretty. It's really beautiful. But, but then <laughs> it it's was quiet. Everyone slept better. But as soon as yeah, they my, could bring out everything like that back, they did. They, we, we did, it, and we, we just started. We did it. We yeah. did it. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I'm, I'm feeling more. Um, it's funny. I think that you're right. That the, the lockdowns, the pandemic has has really turned. It's like it's turned the amplifier up on all the problems, and they've cracked. The, the so much, so many things have cracked open. Yeah. Um, weirdly, climate change almost got put on the back burner. People were like. Yeah, don't worry. well, we got to worry about COVID at the moment. Don't worry. Yeah. don't worry about your carbon emissions. Yeah, right. Now I feel more like, yeah, okay, let's get back to it, guys. But, um, <laughs> um, but I think I've, I'm actually slightly more. I'm feeling a little more optimistic actually because I'm, I'm kind of really embracing uh, 
connecting with people and mm. I've I've started this new band I'm playing in the room with people I'm about to do a tour fingers crossed COVID doesn't shut the whole thing down yeah. but where we play to live to people and get people in a room connecting and to me that is like, I'm that is so important to me because I I see the issues of um, everyone online and isolated I mean if you've lived in Los Angeles, that is basically like living that feeling that the whole world is getting. Because in LA, you're driving around, no one's talking, mm. you're by yourself, you go a bit crazy, you spend way too much time with yourself. Whereas in a, if you get people in the room talking to each other, connecting, they feel great, they solve problems, they learn to tolerate each other. I mean, it's just, it's so obvious that it's the most important thing. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited about that. And I'm also... I, I'm aware that although this record is very serious and, and has its heavy parts, it's funny. I've sort of moved through, maybe this was a stepping stone for me. I feel like I've started recording new, I've written new songs for this oh, band and I've started recording again and, and I'm a little more, I've sort of lightened up a little bit in what I can, I've, I've, I feel like I can be even more playful now. I don't know. I've opened a door for myself creatively, oh, which is, is being is really exciting. No, that's wonderful, and I appreciate your thoughtfulness in that answer and your thoughtfulness uh, on this record. and uh, And I can see that happening. Like there, I'm sure you objectively can see this as something you had to get out of your system. Uh, like just like I can do this. I can do this earnestly and on yeah, my I, own. Uh, the, the, exactly. Yeah. The challenge was: Oh, can I do this? Yeah. I, I think I can do this. <laughs> Let's try it. And it didn't really start off. It's funny, putting out a record becomes such a big deal. I didn't even think about having to like promote it or talk about it yeah. when we were working on it. It was more like this little side project. And I think people might think like, oh, Brett's gone. He's getting serious. He's gone real. He's like, it's like he's going to stand up there wearing all black and it's going to be so moody. <laughs> like, it's, it's not. Yeah, I just didn't. I didn't really think it through entirely about what it would be like putting it out in the world. Yeah. But. It, anyway, it's 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 a great adventure for me, and it's and someone told me a quote about that David Bowie had about when you when you're making things, you want to be out in the water. Have you heard this quote? You want to be out and you want to go swimming just where you can't touch the bottom. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar to me. Yeah, that's we. Yeah, I, I'd never heard this, but I've heard it a couple of times recently. That's the feeling you want when you're making new things, and. I certainly have had that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I think I maybe went too far out, but, but uh, it's quite exciting because it's, it's scary doing something that you're not, that's a little new, but it's also, by taking that risk, it's, um, it, it's you know, it's scary, but exciting, you know? You see what I well, mean? It's, I do, and as a, as a musician myself uh, uh, and as, as someone who tries to be creative, I can relate to that sentiment for sure. But at the same time, I don't know how to swim. So I'm scared by the sentiment as well. I'm scared of what David Bowie said. <laughs> you're scared. You just need to like get up to your knees and you're probably fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is good. This is enough of a risk. I don't feel comfortable. Okay, let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned this very extensive uh, solo tour you're doing. Um, and that's very exciting. You're coming to Canada. You're coming. Through. It's a, yeah. it's like, it's pretty extensive. It's a very, uh, where are you headed off yeah, the top of your head? We're, um, it's in October, middle of October through middle of November, basically, and it's yeah. it's the states and to Canada, um, a couple of shows, one or two shows, I think, in Canada, Vancouver and Toronto, sure Toronto, I believe, yeah, Vancouver, yeah. Toronto, okay, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. hopefully get up there and do some more shows. I mean, I, I I love I've been up to Canada quite a bit with Concords, and we had a great time. 
Yeah, we've got a bus. We're doing, and I'm bringing a band from New Zealand of seven musicians. Nice. Um, and so we're doing the full, you know, driving around on a bus, playing shows, sleeping on the bus type thing. I saw Flight of the Concords uh, and Eugene Merman uh, perform oh, yes. perform at Mass. Yeah, Eugene is someone I admire greatly, and is I've interviewed many times. Been on this show once or twice. I can't twice. And anyway, I like Eugene. Is my point. But my other point was going to be I saw you guys at Massey Hall in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, and I loved it uh, so much. There will be people, uh, Brett, obviously coming to see you. Uh, because of Flight of the Concords. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Do you imagine, and I imagine this will be a surprise, do you imagine you might cater to their interests in your set list in some way? Or will it... Oh, yeah, I think I'll I'll try and play uh, a few songs from, okay. from other acts. just Because I know how hard it is for an audience to hear new music. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. One, yes. As an, as a, when I go to gigs, when bands play all lots of new stuff, it's like, oh man, give me a break. <laughs> I um, like it. I, so, I usually prefer it, but I have a weird contrarian streak. Oh, in really? Me. You can handle it? Well, I just I, find it can be quite tire. It can be quite tiring. Um, it depends so, if you're um, if it's good. Like if it's the new record's a stinker, then yeah, I'm with you. Uh, but true, if the new if you're, yeah, you're like, again, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, and I and I started seeing him in the late '90s when I think he had this renaissance. So I like yeah. I know that people are like play the thing that the uh, Rolling Stone and then he plays yeah, it yeah, they're yeah. like that doesn't sound like Rolling Stone yeah. they get yeah. mad no matter what he does right and uh, uh but other people I yeah when I've seen Springsteen sometimes he's got a great record out and I can't wait and sometimes I'm like of late I mean and then sometimes it's not quite as strong not so that, that yeah. becomes a bit of a chore. We're like, yeah, this seven-minute song I don't really like. That's new, anyway. And I, but I love him. But as one well. of the big, one of the big challenges, well, not challenges, but the strange thing for the audience, I think, is coming along. Um, I mean, I, my first gig with this album is next week with my band, and we're touring New Zealand first. Yeah. So I actually don't know yet what the feeling the audience is going to have because it's not going to be like a Concord's gig. So. It is going to be different, but it's a full band. It's a big music sound, so it's um, it's going to be sort of a you know I'll feel that out as I go yeah. to see what what the crowd needs versus what I want to do and see how that goes. Yeah. So Concord for those who follow Concords, we have come to uh, it's the show stopped uh, the the TV show and some regular activity kind of stopped. Uh, what, 11 years ago or something like that, or 12 years, or no, 9, 10 years ago. Anyway, then you do sporadic yeah, yeah. sporadic things. Uh, are you and Jermaine talking about any kind of plans at this point? I know you got your hands full with this stuff, but uh, any... Yeah, we haven't got any plans at the moment. The last thing we did was just we did a UK tour and, and filmed a, a live concert. Um, no, it's it's been a while. No no plans at the moment. Okay. We, we haven't cracked any... No, no, no definite ideas of what to do next. It's funny, we'd usually do a tour, we do a tour usually, I mean, usually, I guess, we would do a tour every few years of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, we haven't, coming out of COVID, we haven't, that hasn't emerged as a plan at the moment. It's, it's weird how the, that has definitely made time stand still for people like yourselves who would normally get together every few years. Yeah, that's a, a definite downside to this whole situation, but... Uh, uh, the plus side is you had a chance to make this brilliant record, which is out on Sub Pop. And uh, for people who want to learn more about you, Brett, and Songs Without Jokes um, on the internet, I, I think you're on Twitter. I can't tell. Where would you like people to go? Uh, I'm not on Twitter. No, I, I'm on. I've just started 
that social media is quite funny for me because I sort of <laughs> MySpace kicked off when I was when I was getting when Concords was blown up and of I was course. like this yeah. is weird I'm not into this <laughs> Jermaine was really into it we'd be in the studio and he'd just be on MySpace all the time and I'd be f- figuring it fixing the song <laughs> we'd be like Jermaine get off MySpace do your vocal part <laughs> and then he'd be sending messages like what are you doing down there and then um, anyway I was very suspicious of it all and then I've spent the last 10 years being like oh it's terrible it's bad for your mental health what Watching the documentaries, I can't. What, I don't, you know the ones. Yes, oh, the ones like, on Netflix and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all those. Yeah. Watching like, oh yeah, I know. We can tell this. You can see it's bad. Yeah, it's it's social media is basically like cigarettes. You were absolutely. You know? and my dad tells a story about hey, he smoked cigarettes when he was five and it was totally fine. He's like, and I'm like, yeah. Well, our kids in thirty years will be like, yeah, we were just allowed to be on social media, <laughs> do it if we wanted. I'm like, no, I'm That's with you. Crazy. I'm with you on and, it. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I've been anti-social media, but then. Then I sub pop. I said, they, "I said we're putting out this record," and they said, "Okay, well, Brett, you got to get on social media, man. You got to get in it because, like, this is how you tell people about things are happening now." So I've, I'm on Instagram and I'm kind of getting into it, and then they're like, "You got to do TikTok." So that's my next challenge: is learning how to do TikTok. I see. But who knows? I'll do. I think that's my new challenge. It's, I'm actually kind of enjoying learning how to tell people about things I'm making. So, but it's. Uh, it's a, a blessing and a curse. There's a there is a Twitter account that seems to be attributed to you. The person is using first person. Hey, I'm going out on tour. I'm I made a record. Oh. Did you not know about this? Oh, okay. Maybe it's connected to sub Maybe someone okay. they set it up. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, you, there's actually it's funny all the fake. There's a lot of fake things out there. Though, yeah, like, I know. Like, That's why I asked on Instagram. So many people they send me things saying, "There's someone. He sent me this message. He says he's your manager." <laughs> It's, he's really creepy. <laughs> yeah, the spamming and like, the scamming yeah, has really gotten brazen, and it's increasing a lot. I've noticed it's not uncommon for yeah. me to get three or four of those things a day now. All of a sudden, um, right? Yeah, and it's anyway. So, yeah, uh, okay. but Instagram is the one if you I'm um, actually checking and kind of connecting with and kind of learning how to use. So that's probably my the one I can if people want to follow. And me. you've got a site, I assume. Oh, and it's it's retrospective is the name. Yes, that, that's your. Oh no, that's your Instagram. Do you have a site, uh, a Isn't website? Oh yeah, my website's just brettmckenzie.com. Just like to plug the internet. I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, that, that's I appreciate that. I need to. I'm supposed to be doing that. <laughs> I'll, I'll include links to everything we just described in the podcast description. So no worries for those listening. Uh, Brett, if we can go out on a song. From Songs Without Jokes, I wonder if you can choose one for us and also maybe tell us why it came to mind. Um, well, let's go out with um, a little tune. Um, it's, um, it's a jaunty, Harry Nilsson-y uh, sort of 70s kind of vibe. And um, it's, a, it's a love song. And it's one of the ones, it's funny when I'm playing with the band and rehearsing, it's just one of the ones that's really fun to play. It's sort of, some songs seem to play themselves um, and this one is is one of those. Can I read you my very uh, brief but nonsensical note about this song that I wrote down? Yeah, great, yeah. I wrote uh, a sweet Sgt. Pepper-esque orchestration. Again, a little bit of Wilco here. For some reason, I don't know if you like that band, the Beatles. I do like no, Wilco. I mean, yeah, I do, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I said the Beatles, but no, yeah, Will, I, oh, I the Beatles. keep... Oh, Wilco, I, like, I think you said I like Wilco, yeah. <laughs> I was joking. I meant both. But Wilco, for some reason, like our Jeff Tweedy, uh, who's a guest, has been a recent guest on this show and someone I've admired a long time, I think has a very particular way of phrasing and singing. And every once in a while, I can't help but hear him in your stuff. It sounds like you know him. You're a bit of a fan. 
Yeah, you mean like just some melody, so the way melody lines sometimes fall. Just attacking, mean? attacking a lyric. Yeah, just your your vocal uh, approach to it. Like when you get into again, like a bridge. The bridge here reminds me off of something that he might have done on Sky Blue Sky, a Wilco album. It's that it's it's like a earnest and uh, impassioned, but still sort of controlled uh, thing yeah. that he can do. And I pick the, I pick up a little bit on this lovely little song. Sorry. I'll take my, that. I'll take that. I'll take that. I like that. Okay, I'll take good. It compared to Wilco. All right, <laughs> all right. I appreciate. Cool. I, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable with my weird theories and comparisons, Britt. You've been a very patient and lovely guest. This is it's a quite little scientific. It's quite scientific. This <laughs> it is. It is. This is a, a little tune from Songs Without Jokes, the brilliant new record uh, by Brett McKenzie. Brett, this was a, truly a pleasure and an honor for me. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks, Fish. It was super fun, man. I really appreciate your time. Way over there 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, come on. I I am very thrilled that Brett McKenzie was on this show. Brett, thank you so much for appearing on this, the 711th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, if you so desire, you can also follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content and uh, content uh, earlier. So you get the episodes that everyone else gets just a little bit earlier where my schedule allows so that's one perk there's also lots of bonus uh, content as well sometimes I, I go into a little bit of overtime with my guests uh, that are on the show sometimes i dig into my audio archives for older interviews uh, that preceded the podcast there's some perks early episodes bonus content what more do you want that's all for six dollars or more a month and also if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt just message me on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies last Thank you. Speaking of thanks, thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my dear friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use music of his on this uh, uh, podcast. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Brett McKenzie. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're new to Brett... And Flight of the Concords, please explore all of the things he has gotten up to with his life. It's amazing stuff. I'm a huge fan. We had a little chat after uh, uh, the recording of the interview was done, and I expressed to him how much uh, his work has meant to my wife and I. In particular, we love uh, all the stuff he's done. So anyway, thanks to Brett, and thanks to you. If you're fans of Brett, welcome to the show. If you're uh, If you're new to me huge archive of stuff this is episode 711 so explore please and consider subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends all about it that helps me and uh, hopefully it helps the people you love too who come on the show anyway thank you so much for all the stuff you've done and i will talk to you very soon be well stay healthy be safe i will talk to you soon bye for now
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 